millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport, the record book. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us here and downloading the Game Day Record Book Archive podcast. You know the deal. Um, during the current emergency, um, we're doing uh, we're looking back on old football seasons. Um, and today, to help me go back to the season, I'll tell you which one it is. Uh, we've got the former, I won't go through the list of all of his clubs. Let's just say Sunderland for now, um, the top class goalkeeper, very good broadcaster, and very good writer. A football coach as well. David Priest with us. Hi, David. It would have taken a long time to go through all of my clubs, though. That's the thing, so we better keep it short, eh? And joining him, of course, um, comedian these days, football broadcaster and TV star. Um, if you count the uh, those stations that are on other platforms, shall we say. Mark Smith. Hi, Mark. Hello, Danny. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, you're really welcome. Listen, just, just um, to further add to... Uh, I mean, I guess uh, our listeners will all know we're all doing this um, remotely. I'm sat in the sort of um, the front room of my house in Ireland. Uh, it, uh, when I put a picture up before, because it's made of stone, um, it's not because I can't afford a plaster. We choose to have the raw stone. Um, and people said, uh, well, see, I live in a castle. Where are you doing yours from, David? I'm doing mine from my bedroom in Lincoln, reclining on my bed as if I was being drawn by it like a French woman. Very, very good. Very, very good. And Excellent Mark, mental what about image. You? Uh, I am in uh, my little boy's bedroom, uh-huh. uh, and what I've done is I've I've put all the uh, cushions from the lounge downstairs up against the windows to make the sound better. But I think it makes the neighbours look like I. I think they think I've lost my mind finally, and I'm presumably wearing a tin foil hat in here as well. It's like, yeah, well, of course, it's only two weeks into the uh, into the lockdown. <laughs> yeah. and get another couple of weeks, we'll all be wearing the tin hats. Here's Murphy. To camera. Here's the Amansky camera. He's got sight of Joe Hart. Oh, and he scored a wonderful, wonderful goal for Fulham. And they're going to take all three points. And the great escape for Roy Hodgson's Fulham is definitely on. Mark Helsley looks at his watch. And Terry wins it. And Canoe is in. And the final whistle goes. And Tottenham have won it. The season is 2007-2008. The um, season that I remember very well because uh, it was the last time Spurs won anything. Um, David, why don't you start with uh, who's your hero of 2007-2008? Well, I, I was going to go between two people. I couldn't really decide. And they both did a similar kind of job. 
but I'm going to plumb for Roy Hodgson. Um, I'm working in Sweden at the minute, and you wouldn't believe how much high esteem that uh, the Roy's held in over here. You know, there's documentaries on TV about him, and, and funny enough, when he he's fluent in Swedish, so when he's speaking Swedish, it's kind of like in a way that I can understand because it's it's kind of like half English, half Swedish. So I've been uh-huh. able to, to brush up on that, but. It, he did. He came in from uh, obviously Lovie Sanchez had been had been sacked at at Fulham. A terrible start of the season. He just come off the back of the uh, I think he was a Finland manager at the time, and uh, he came in and he he basically did what Roy Hodgson always does. Comes in, steadies the ship, and, and not only that, he didn't just give him a fighting chance of staying up, but it was that just the last two uh, games of the season where I think it was the second last game of the season. They were two nil down away to Manchester City. And they were down at that point. They were down, and whatever he said at half time uh, at the city uh, Manchester City Stadium, he got it perfectly right, and they managed to turn it mm. around to, to amazingly to uh, to win three two, and Amazing. give him a chance yeah. to go into the last game and win that one. And it just it just pulled them pulled them back from the brink. That's the the biggest thing that uh, that I get from this. That it's not just that he gave them the chance to to stay up, but the the fact that they were they were over the ridge. The, to- the, the the toes were just over the edge of the cliff, and uh, and he managed just to grab them by the scruff of the neck and pull them back, and uh, those that's exactly what Fulham wanted when they brought him in. They want him to, to keep him up. Obviously, that's what you want the yeah, manager to do when you change managers. David, when they talk about great escapes, that's usually for a team that's become you know completely detached. But in case of Fulham, that game against Manchester City, the penultimate game. Um, they were it's all intense and uh, that was a great escape but it only took place over two games um, but they were to all intents and purposes they were relegated and you know as you say the halftime talk by the manager um, could could arguably be what saved um, them and that's why you've chosen Roy Hodgson as a matter of interest who was the other person in your running um, who did a similar job well Steve Bruce and the fact that he probably doesn't get as much credit that season as, as maybe as Roy did because of the manner that, in which yeah. he did it. That he made it because they, they were gone, weren't they, by Christmas? They were only two points ahead of, of Derby County at, at Christmas time. And Steve came in there in December and, and didn't just turn it round, but he, like I said, they, they stayed up comfortably. Brilliant job he did. Okay, listen, uh, th- thank you for that. So, Mark, what is your hero of the 2007 2008 season? Uh, well, my hero is, is probably not as serious as uh, Steve Bruce. Um, it's I've gone for acrobatic celebrations, Danny, because, uh-huh. <laughs> look, we're in an era now where, yes, footballers are paid a lot of money, and maybe that's why we don't see so many backflips and somersaults and the like. They don't want to get injured during the celebration. But back in 2007, 2008, yeah, there's lots of money around, sure, but it still felt like there was more personality within these players. And the likes of Nanny, Oberfemi Martins, whenever they scored... The goal might have been great, but you knew, however good the goal was, and I'm thinking about nannies against Middlesbrough, you knew that the celebration would probably match it or go past it. And every time one of those two players scored, it was such, it was so exciting. It was so exciting. I've got to go for celebrations. I feel remind, like remind, it's... Remind us of what, which, what, what Nanny actually did and what, what the other Femi Martins used to do. So Ebbefemi Martins would do about three or four backflips. He would sort of uh, oh, yeah. Very he'd gear good. himself up, he'd sprint, and he'd go do that side thing, like a, I don't know what you call that, and then into three, four, five <laughs> backflips and end on both. It's unbelievable. And Nanny would do a similar thing. Sometimes he'd mix it up a bit and do like this weird, almost Olympian level twist midair. And it was just so thrilling to watch. And it just feels like that was maybe we're getting towards the the last bit of the Premier League 
um, where there was that individuality and players could... I don't know. I mean, David, you know more about this than me. Are players told to not do that sort of thing anymore because of potential injury? Because we see Aubameyang try and do the occasional flip, but it's never as over the top as these guys no, were doing. it's never as good. I think it's the all down to VAR, really. Nobody wants to waste a, uh, an extravagant backflip on, um, oh. you know, when it's going to be ruled out, do they really? Let me ask <laughs> yeah, you a, a different question, David. I mean, Very good point. To, to, the, to the untrained eye, to us spectators... These celebrations of footballers do after games, they look like they're, high, they're highly practiced. I'm thinking, for instance, about the Tottenham players that, when they were still scoring goals, that extraordinary elaborate handshake routine that Deli uh, Alley and Son do together. I mean, surely that takes more practice than indirect free kicks. You know what? This is one of the reasons why I'm glad that I retired when I did in 2013 <laughs> because I, I seem to have missed all these handshakes. Because yeah. it wasn't, it, it, you're right, it must take some practice in the, in the dressing room, but. At the same time, you know, at the same time, I, I was a. It was a lot of criticism of them doing these handshakes, but at the same time, if it meant them spending time together and sort of building a bit of a culture in the dressing room, then it's yeah, it's a bit uh, of bonding, also, isn't it? Yeah. We can't have it both ways. You can't say that they're all bland and vanilla and no character, and then when they do something a bit out of the ordinary, <laughs> everyone gets on yeah. their case. I'm not having that. Um, I, I thought they were. I, I love the handshakes. Do you know what though? Yeah. Do you, do you, you know what though? The only reason probably the uh, the players in my teams didn't uh, practice the celebrations is because I played teams that didn't score very much. So didn't score yeah. enough. Maybe that's <laughs> well. You think they they did celebrate even more when they did score then? But uh, thank you very much. Acrobatics is a very good choice, Mark. Um, if I'm, thank you. This is this is slightly predictable because uh, as I said at the top of the show through gritted teeth, one day Ramos. Uh, is the last I'm, I'm having here as my hero for 2007-2008, um, though it is slightly tongue-in-cheek as well because he actually didn't do very well at Spurs at all. Um, but he was a remarkable sequence of events, uh, his winning of the League Cup the last time Spurs won anything. Um, what is that now, 12, almost 13 years ago? Um, first of all, the way Ramos got the job, I was at the game at White Hart Lane where Spurs were playing Hetafe in the UEFA Cup as it was then, and it became, we, it became known at half-time that so dissatisfied with the Spurs ball with the performance at the start of the season and in that game against Getafe that Martin Yola had decided to sack him. Now, this story went around the ground um, and Martin Yola didn't know. He was on the, in, the, in the technical area, guiding the team, um, and the, everyone on the ground knew he'd been sacked and he didn't. He eventually got a text from a nephew of his saying, do you know you've been sacked during the game? I mean, talk about Spursy. Wow. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. And this, of course, it was a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of days after the Spurs hierarchy had been spotted in a restaurant in Spain talking to Juan de Ramos, the then Sevilla manager. Uh, of course, he turned up. The first thing I loved about Juan de, um, apart from the fact that I mean, he spoke the, the, literally only two words of English, which was one more than, uh, uh, than a previous Spurs manager whose name now escaped me, the French fellow who came for about two weeks. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, and, but he looked very like, for those of you who are fans of the film The Exorcist, he's a double, isn't he, for Father, <laughs> Father Damien Karras. Yeah. The power of Christ <laughs> compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Um, he looks like Father Damien out of The Exorcist. Um, and he did, he, did, he did okay with that. He got the team out of the relegation zone where they started. Um, and they went, they went to that League Cup final against Chelsea. The important moment in that 
um, was a quarter-final at Manchester City, where they were down to 10 men after 20 minutes and still found a way to win 2-0. We honestly thought then, hey, he's up to something here, because that is not the way Spurs teams go about their business. If they go to a man down after 20 minutes away from home, it's normally uh, time for Ian Walker to be apologising to the crowd for letting in seven. Um, and in the final itself, which was a wonderful game, I really enjoyed it very much. I was at Wembley. Um, uh, and Jonathan Woodgate, of course, got the, the winning goal. But to me, the best moment of the entire game was after that, when Spurs were winning 2-1, one of the Chelsea players went down feigning injury. And I think he'd forgotten that Spurs had taken the lead because it took Timo Tainio, the, the Finnish midfielder Spurs had at the time, he had to go over, tap, it, tap the prostate Chelsea player on the shoulder and point to the scoreboard, say, you want to get up, mate, you're actually losing this football match. <laughs> and it's very rare that you hear... 80,000 people with both sets of colours on burst out laughing because that actually happened. Everybody burst out laughing. Um, one day won the trophy and, of course, it's held up against, you know, as, as the last time and all the rest of it. And he didn't do very well at Spurs. and He's not really uh, the hero of the season, but there was enough good stories. But I, I say particularly that one, I've never been, you know, I've been to thousands of football matches. Um, that one where the manager was sacked and the crowd knew it and he didn't was a particularly weird experience. And a shame too, because Martin Yoll, I know from per working with him personally, is, a, is a, what they used to call in the trade a bloody good bloke. Um, but there you are. So there's our heroes of the season. Roy Hodgson for his efforts at Fulham. Uh, Mark, um, noticing that the players, perhaps for the last time, were prepared to do the flick flack and the uh, treble salco in order to celebrate goals. And one day Runwas brought the last trophy to White Hart Lane. Mark, you, you, you've, done, you've done the most unusual one. Why don't you tell yes. me if you still want to stick with that? No, I don't. Uh, I want to move to Roy Hodgson, if I may. Um, I think David's absolutely right. Uh, I think he was maybe the only person that could have saved Fulham that season. And also he touched upon his, uh, his capability with language there, Roy Hodgson. I mean, he speaks three or four or five languages, whatever it is. And I remember when he became England boss, and he would answer Italian journalists in Italian and thinking how proud I was that an England boss could do that. I'd never seen that before. So he's a class guy on and off the pitch. And, and yeah, I agree with David. Roy Hodgson. OK, and uh, I'm inclined to agree with that. And particularly, as you say, the contrast with the, with the previous England manager in Fabio Capello, who couldn't answer the English journalists in, in a language that he understood. So uh, mm, yeah. I'm happy to have Roy Hodgson as the hero of the season 2007-2008. <laughs> I think uh, this guy should never play football again. What is he doing on the football pitch? I feel that goes around with the idea for a long time that uh, to stop Arsenal you have to kick Arsenal. And I knew that that was coming for a long time now. Everybody will recognise that the Everton were the better team today, with the exception of the first 15 minutes, didn't deserve to lose the game. Uh, the referee has definitely had a, had a bad day at the office. Equally strong field for villains. Um, and Mark, I think you're going to start with, uh, again, not a player or a team. Uh, who's your villain of the season? Um, I've gone for Mark Clattenburg, well, specifically Mark Clattenburg's performance in the Liverpool derby. Everton-Liverpool. Um, I don't know if you remember this one, but it was a game of obviously massive importance for both sides. It's a local derby, of course it is. But it was a game absolutely marred by 
his decisions throughout. I'm just going to run down a list of what he did in this game. Uh, first of all, at 0-0, he sends off... Sorry, at 1-0 Everton, he sends off Tony Hibbert um, after Gerrard's going through. And he's sort of... I'm not even sure if he gets any contact whatsoever. But he takes him down in the box. Penalty is given. It looks like he's only of a yellow card. He's got a yellow card in his hand. You can see it at the top of his pocket. Steven Gerrard walks past him as a little word. And all of a sudden, that card is upgraded to a red card. So straight away, there's an issue there. Uh, later on, there's a definite penalty, fair enough, given against Phil Neville for a handball. He then doesn't send off Dirk Kout for what looked like a martial arts move. It looked like one of those acrobatic <laughs> celebrations I've been talking about. He went t two feet in the air. He's launched himself from about three metres. No red card for that. And then in the last uh, few minutes of the game, there is an absolute stonewall penalty against Jamie Carragher. He, he pulls down his opponent in the box about six yards out. Nothing given. Clattenburg just waves it away with such glee. Such like a, a Mike Dean type style of glee, he waves that one away with. And it just made me think, you know what, as much as we, I think, generally don't like VAR, <laughs> that game needed it. And it might have made that uh, that game a little bit more balanced, shall we say. And it was funny because we mentioned in the warm-up for the show, um, when we were talking to each other, uh, this is the same Mark Clattenburg who had the opportunity there... Uh, again, sometime later, in another important title game, that, that famous game at Stamford Bridge between Chelsea and Spurs, where he had the opportunity to send off half the Spurs team and didn't take that either. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've always found it to be a bit of a strange one. I, I think there's a few referees that like to be the centre of attention, and I think he might be one of them, sadly. Uh, I don't know what he's like as a bloke, I've got no idea, but I do know he's got tattoos of the trophies on his leg that he was refereeing. He's got, I think, a Champions League trophy See, on his... that is not... That is just weird, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? As long as, yeah. as, long, as, long as you say that and not just me. No, it no, It is no. weird. Uh, and I've actually worked with him on the radio and he's, he seems like a perfectly decent fella, but yeah, the, amount of, the amount of time uh, preparing his hair for a football match when you're not <laughs> one of the players struck me as very odd as well. And it's You're not meant to notice the ref. To. And sometimes, well, yeah, exactly. But it's not even his hair, though. It, has he borrowed that hair? hair transplant, didn't he? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's, that's somebody else's exclusive. Hair. It's not yours, is it, David? You, you, you don't you don't have a sideline no. selling your hair, do you? Well, it looks like it at the moment because I haven't got much left. Well. Um, my villain, um, and it's a bit of an obvious one. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. But as I always say, it's very easy to criticise Steve McLaren as England manager. So let's do it. Um, <laughs> this is when Steve had got the England job, and uh, several things. Um, started to really rankle with me very early, or at least set up a kind of red flags were go, going off in my head. Um, first of all, here was an England manager who had um, a PR consultant. Now, the PR consultant um, is the now disgraced Max Clifford, um, but Clifford started to to work on Steve McLaren. Now, he, Steve's not an idiot. He knows uh, public image is very important and uh, trying to speak in the local accent is equally important. Um, but um, <laughs> under Max Clifford, he did two things. One, he got his teeth done. He had his teeth slightly veneered, perhaps not the full piano um, like Brendan Rogers, but quite a, quite a change in his teeth. But more importantly, the receding hairline of Steve McLaren had that tuft at the front that they thought they could parlay into the general look of a proper head of hair. So he had that bit of hair on the front of his head, didn't he? That he, and he look, um, Mark, you're in a lucky place. You've got a head full of hair there. But the rest of us, though, there is always a little bit of teasology to get the, uh, the remaining barnet into some kind of presentable approximation of hirsuteness. But It's got quite so hair-heavy, this podcast. 
Yeah, it has. McLaren, which McLaren's got that little tuft on the front. So come the day against the game against Croatia, there is that important qualifier, in, and the result would decide who's going through and all that. And it's a terrible night at Wembley. I mean, again, a match I was at actually. Uh, the rain was falling down in very large drops. They were almost painful, the size of them. Now, the pitch cut up into a quagmire. I remember think, after England got beat, uh, I remember thinking, wow, imagine trying to play on a, a modern game of football on that pitch. And I thought the only person who, who seemed to be able to play there was a tiny little fella playing in midfield for Croatia. He never gave the ball away once. Of course, it was Luka Modric, and we all know where that story goes from there. Um, but when it started to rain on the touchline, I'm convinced that Steve put up the umbrella because of advice he'd been given about not letting the little tuft of hair get wet and just flop down into a pathetic oh, wow. sort of spider's leg at the front of his, on the front of his head. So um, a PR conspiracy so, then? Not a conspiracy, no. It's a, a conspiracy, a theory, that's what you're saying. It's a theory, I hear it's you. A theory about the nature of human nature and vanity. And um, unfortunately, of course, if the, that's fine. The team does well. It looks like a man looking after himself on a heavy day's rain. If they do badly, you are asking for that kind of behaviour. Because even in this day and age of male grooming down to the last degree, there is still, a, a, I think, a degree of suspicion in this country about men who look after their physical appearance too much. And I think the Wally with the Broly thing that night... Um, of course, it's haunted him ever since. So although he's not really a personal villain, some of, some of his bits of vanity and attempt to polish his image, I think, led to his own downfall, at least at the hands of the press. And that's why I've made him the villain uh, for the season 2007-2008. Uh, so Mark Clattenburg, with his strange hair, which we now believe may not have been his own, but not David Priest's. Um, our friend Steve McLaren, it was his own hair, but there was so little of it that it caused kind of issues with how he was doing his work on the touchline. Um, and David, your villain, I don't think has ever had any problem with hair. No, he, he's not losing his... Oh, he didn't lose his hair, but he definitely lost his head. It was, uh-huh. um, I'm going to go for William Gallas. Now, before we get to the incidents that's, uh, that's, that I'm going to get into... The one of the reasons why I'm going to put him as the, as the villain of this piece is simply because he took the number 10 shirt squad number. Now, right. I think no, normally he used to be, he, I think at Chelsea, he, he was number 13, I think it was, but it was taken by Alexander Hleb uh, at the time at Arsenal. But as, as legend would have it, he would, uh, his eyes lit up when that happened. Because the previous season, um, Burkamp had retired. Dennis Burkamp had retired. And the number 10 shirt became available. And as soon as he knew that, that that's all he wanted. Apparently, he goes on to say earlier that he was, a, he was a midfielder as a kid and he always wore number 10, blah, blah, blah. But to have a central defender or a, left, a full back, as he, as he was sometimes employed, Taking the number ten, it's it's heresy, really, isn't it? No, you're you're you know, being it's... very very careful, David. It's just not on. It's just not right. Um, you know, the the ten shirt has come to mean something, I guess, since Pele and people like that. And you can't you can't be swanning in there as a central defender and taking the number ten shirt. Um, I know he's an expert, and, and, and uh, you know you're, you're a contemporary footballer um, with William Gallas. You're being far too gentle. It was it was a knobby thing to do, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We've already agreed that he, that, he, that he's a, t- a total t- t- twat um, for taking the number ten shirt. What else about him? 
Well, there was one game in particular when uh, Arsenal was still in the hunt for the title along with Chelsea and Manchester United and they were playing away to, to Birmingham uh, and they were 2-1 up late in the game. I think it was Gil Clichy uh, gave a penalty away, which, as it turns out, I think he got a toe on the ball, which means it wasn't a penalty and William Gallas just lost all total control of himself walked up the halfway line, was talking to the fourth official, ran to the the advertising hoardings, kicked them, and then stayed in the opposition's half of the pitch while the the penalty's being taken. Stupidly, really, because, I mean, what if the penalty was saved and he had to be back there defending? It's it's a ridiculous thing for him to do. Yeah, of course it was, and it it just... And he was captain at the time. I mean, this isn't what you want from a captain. (laughs) And it's it's from that moment. I think it was I think uh, Gary Neville said, uh, or Sir Alex Ferguson said about um, it was at that moment that they knew they were they were at a, the best chance to win the title because they knew they could see that almost like the the Kevin Keegan meltdown. Yeah, this snapped. was Arsenal's meltdown. And if your um, captain's uh, do doing you, do that, you, do you think do you think that Gallus was affected, um, David? Because it was the same game that uh, very publicly. Um, Eduardo, uh, the Arsenal striker, was in great form at the time, um, had his leg broken, not by Martin Taylor, but in a clash with Martin Taylor, mm. which the Arsenal supporters, uh, along with the Ruckles with Ryan Shawcross and Aaron Ramsey, have never forgiven Martin Taylor for. Um, so it had been quite an emotional game for the Arsenal team. Yeah, that, that could have a lot to do with it as well, because you could see the horror on the, the players' faces as they, as they went towards Eduardo. And, and of course, you've got the... The post-match interview where Arsene Wenger comes out and says that Martin Taylor should never play football at all uh, again yeah. after that tackle. He, he did was, retract that, though, didn't he? After yeah, like a week he, later. He, he, he did. It was a little, a little bit strong, that. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah there the could have been emotions running high, but still, it's it's just a, a William Gallas type of thing to do, wasn't it? I mean, a really interesting cast of villains. We've got Mark Clattenburg, we've got William Gallas, and we've got Steve McLaren as England manager, um, David, do you want to stick with William Gallas or do you want to, uh, to to vote for somebody else? No, I think I'll stick with William Gallas for multiple reasons. Uh-huh. Mark? Um, I'm going to make it tough for you, Danny. I'm going to stick with Clattenburg because I'm, I'm angry at anybody that makes me long for VAR. <laughs> well, do you know what? I can't see past Steve McLaren. So in an unusual thing, but these are unusual times and we're all you know, in each other's bedrooms and front rooms and living rooms and things. I'm going to leave it to our producer, Jeremy, who's going to say in my ear, then, Jeremy, who's the villain of the season? Clattenburg, Gallus or McLaren? Steve McLaren it is, and that is the correct and one lead to answer. We've been stitched up here, David. <laughs> and you can stay as producer for another four shows. Thank you very much <laughs> indeed. I'm, I'm sorry, I've become as competitive as Mark Webster now. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Continuing to review the 2007-2008 season here on the Game Day Record Book Archive podcast with me, Danny Kelly, David Priest, and Mark Smith. Um, let's, let's go on to something a bit more light-hearted now, or certainly more uplifting. The best performance of the season. Um, I'll start this in the interest of moving things around, but uh, interestingly, um, this is a, a sort of statistic rather than a, an individual or something. But what, what it was in the Premier League, it was an incredibly high-scoring season. Or, to put it more exactly, because of course the stats will show you that these things tend to even themselves out, it was a season where there were just loads and loads and loads of very, very high-scoring games. Um, now, that doesn't include Derby County, who we're going to come on to, who were losing games regularly yep. <laughs> by fives, six, and sevens. And I'm sure our, our resident Derby County supporter, Mark Smith, will tell us all about that. Let's bet without Derby, who ran up an enormous amount of goals against in what was one, in my opinion, and we'll come on to my opinion about it. Um, I have a very strong opinion about that Derby team. Um, but among the games um, in the season that we're talking about, um, Portsmouth four, sorry, Portsmouth seven, Reading four. Um, Spurs beat Reading six four at White Hart Lane. There was a four four draw between Tottenham and Chelsea. A last minute scorching goal by Robbie Keane to equalise, and the ball breaks to him on the corner, though at the left hand corner of the penalty area, and he slaps it in. Um, Manchester City got beaten eight one at Middlesbrough. Chelsea and Aston Villa played that four four draw. Uh, there were three red cards in that game. And, and another absolute whacking here. Everton beat Sunderland by seven goals to one at Goodison. A game, I suppose, David, as a Sunderland fan that you remember. Yeah, unfortunately, I do, yeah. I mean, <sighs> we had, at the time we had the, I think it was the most expensive British keeper of all time in uh, or that, that time in, uh, in, in goal. Uh, Thomas Sorensen? Oh, Craig, no, Gordon, Craig Gordon. Sorry. Craig Gordon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paid nine million pounds from. Oh, Hartsbury. Roy Keane had paid a ton of money from Edney. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, and you look at the goals and the, the words "knife through butter" just every time. <laughs> it was almost like you know, somebody uh, somebody running at the defence with the ball and people just diving out of the way and Leon Osman ran off from the halfway line all the way through and finished from in, from about eight yards out. It was just a yeah, ridiculously bad performance. David, the uh, the um, 
I mean, that's all I've got to say about the high school games. There are a lot of them, but to the spectators, of course, they're terrific fun, particularly a 4-4 draw, shall we say, for example. And they what, what the TV commentators always say is, oh, that was great fun for the fans, but I don't suppose the manager would be too happy. What about the players? Actually, if you were playing a 3-3 or a 4-4, to me, it looks like tremendous fun. I think it depends on... You know who scores the last goal? <laughs> exactly. If you, if, Very good. If you score the, if you score the equaliser, then it, it feels like a win. You know, so, sometimes those games you just got to brush under the carpet and just as, as a one-off, you know. You know. Uh, well, no. Yeah, as a keeper, yeah, it mustn't be fun though to be conceding three or four or five. Oh no! It, I mean, it gives you a great chance to to blame everyone else and shout at shout at the defence and get all your anger out. <laughs> right. But, uh, well, well, I mean, one game I played in it was uh, it was up at Dunfermline. I was at Aberdeen, and. Uh, it wasn't too long ago I was watching the highlights part of it and we actually ended up winning 7-4. It was a ridiculous Lovely. game. Almost Lovely. every every goal went in. Owen Coyle was uh, was up front for, for Dunfermline. He scored all four goals for them. And it's funny because watching the highlights, you can see the players coming out of the tunnel before the game and you can see exactly what type of game it's going to be. You know, normally now you've got the players coming out in two lines, almost like military-like and looking professional and pristine. You see the two teams come out the tunnel at, uh, at Dunfermline, and there's people picking the noses, chatting to each other, you know, just looking around the stadium. You can just see this is going to be a high-scoring game. There's, it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a David, nil at all. Did, did, I, did I get that right? Somebody scored four goals and ended up on the end of a walloping. Owen Coyle, ex-Bolton manager. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, sorry, I haven't heard anything as, and as unfortunate as Dennis Law, early in, the legendary Dennis Law, early in his career, I think he was playing for Huddersfield at the time, scored five goals in an FA Cup tie um, that was abandoned because of snow late in the game and they lost the replay, so his five goals <laughs> went, uh, went to mean nothing. Um, so... Uh, Thank you very much indeed. That's high scoring games is my um, best performance of that season. Um, and David, you want to talk about somebody who contributed a lot of goals to that season. Yeah, I'm going to go for Fernando Torres. Um, 24 goals in his first season in the Premier League. That's the highest total uh, for a debut season for a foreign player. Beating, I think it was Ruud van Royce 23. Um, and, and just, it's, it's kind of... A, Watching him, uh, watching that season, watching the highlights of that season, it, it kind of brings like a sadness about what kind of play he turned out to be. You know, that was th those two or three seasons that he had at Liverpool was, were obviously peak Torres before he moved to Chelsea, and you just see he looks a totally different player. And of course, he's got the people like Xabi um, Alonso and Steven Gerrard behind him to, to take advantage of their passing ranges. But you just see him like, he, it's the type of player that you, it, it, you would see he was old fashioned because a lot of times centre forwards want to come towards the ball, they want the ball into their feet. But he, as soon as one of the midfielders, especially Xabi Alonso, when he got the ball, he just went on his bike and when he hit the space behind and, and he, he just, he'd go full pelt. And um, of course the, the precision of the passing straight in his path, he was just scoring goals for fun that way, and of course, you, you know, you hear people like Stephen George saying that he made th made things easy for you because you just knew where to pass the ball as soon as you got it. But it was uh, 
It's oh. an unbelievable season for for him. Like I said, twenty four goals. Uh, and it's rare. It's rare that you can say. I mean, I've got two things to say about this. One of which will get me mocked by both of you. Um, there, it, it was absolutely a thing of beauty and slightly different thing, a beautiful thing. You're absolutely right to point out they had two of the best long passers in world football hitting what was then the best runner in world football. The way he covered the ground, I think Jurgen Klinsmann, maybe at a very, very peak of his powers, could run just as amazingly. But the passing into the, into the stride of that run and then his finishing was absolutely beautiful. And I'll say this as well. Um, I got into terrible trouble on this program. When I suggested a couple of podcasts ago that I once had a man thing for Noel Whelan of Coventry, I was laughed at and mocked at. But I must say, um, I, say I always thought the same thing about Fernando Torres. I always thought to myself, if you, if you weren't so devoted um, to, to the heterosexual cause, Danny, that is a person that you could definitely go out for dinner with. He was a What was it about thing. him, Danny? His face. Beautiful, beautiful face. With the, and freckles. Yeah. Freckles on a person from the Iberian Peninsula. Plus, he was great at football, which goes a long way with me, I've got to be honest. <laughs> um, let's move this on slightly, although I suspect one of the have footballs to? we're going to talk Yeah, one of the footballs <laughs> we're going to talk about here has been a subject of much um, admiration by both genders as well. Who is your performance of the season, Mark? Well, it might sound pretty obvious given that they won the Champions League and the Premier League, uh, but my performance is Manchester United. And within ah. that, Ronaldo. Uh, now I'll start with United generally because I think that this team often gets overlooked when we talk about greatest ever Premier League teams, as we have done a lot this season with Liverpool yes. and last season with Man City. I feel as though this United team gets overlooked for those for those guys, for the unbeatables at Arsenal and for the treble winning United side and for Jose's first Chelsea side. But mm -hmm. actually this, I think, is probably the best of the lot. For me, player for player, this would be the best ever Premier League side. Uh, I'm looking at it now, Van der Sar in goal. Your centre-backs are Ferdinand and Vidic, Everett left-back. Normally Gary Neville at right-back, but Wes Brown was there this season because of Neville's injury to his ankle. Uh, midfield of Scholes and Carrick and Hargreaves, Rooney, Pete Ronaldo, Tevez. I mean, all of them playing to probably... I think Ronaldo went on to better things and bigger things, but certainly the rest of that side were in their peak and absolutely week in, week out, playing unbelievable football. Uh, to win the Champions League and the Premier League, we know is an incredible feat. Uh, and to do it in style as well. I was just always impressed watching them. And I do feel as though, yeah, we don't talk about this team enough. I think if you talk this, to United this, fans, a lot yeah. of them would also say this is the better team than the treble winning side. And this was the team where they kind of cleared the decks up front, um, which allowed Cristiano Ronaldo to step forward. And he scored a ton of goals this year, didn't he? He scored 11 more goals than Derby County. Yeah, that, that that would that wouldn't necessarily amount to a ton, but I take I take why I take thirty one he scored. Down it, that, yeah, I think it's it, maybe thirty two. It was. I'm not sure what it was. I think it was thirty one. But he um, for, for, he beat 40, George Best's record. Forty plus in in all competitions. In all competitions, yeah. yeah, 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 unbelievable. Um, I mean, and some great highlights as well. I mean, his his free kick against Portsmouth was you know one of the best free kicks I've ever seen. He scored a goal in the Champions League against Porto from just outside the stadium that went top bins. He was just one of those players that you knew you wanted to see him more in the Premier League. Even if you hated United, you wanted to see him more in the league. But you knew he, he couldn't stay there forever. And and he gave United an extra season after after this one and then went to Real. I think he went there with, with, with Ferguson's blessing and went on to do you know, record-breaking things. But I think United, this United team, so impressive. 
so resilient as well. I mean, the fact that they got three Champions League finals in four years just says a lot. Had it not been for maybe the best team in club history with Barcelona, they could have won three Champions Leagues in four years there. There was a lot yeah. of it, sort of uh, contributing circumstances to them just winning the league on the on the last day, like the as they did. Like you said, Arsenal were a great team. Um, yeah. Chelsea had a great side. Uh, and then they've got to focus on the Champions League as well. It's probably why they they probably aren't in Premier League terms aren't held up there because they didn't just run rampage like, uh, like yeah exactly they they like they, 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 spread, they spread themselves a bit thinner didn't they yeah yeah and it's one of the great um, I think one of the great things about Alex Ferguson is that he 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 didn't seem to worry about uh, running up massive leads over other teams in the title. He did. He picked and chose his matches to make sure that they were making the progress needed to make in cup competition, including the European Champions League, of course. Um, yeah. And he was happy for them to drop across the line. Of course, come sometimes they came a cropper by conceding the title very late on. I'm thinking about Aguero. I'm thinking about West Ham's effort when they he described as um, what did he describe? I can't remember the exact word he used. Uh, when they was denied them the title on the last day of the oh, season, all, but that was yeah. that was was a tremendous uh, Manchester United team, and I wonder... But you do what you have to do to win the league, don't you? And yeah, I, of I course. think most players would, would rather win two major tournaments, particularly if one of them is the Champions League, than win one by a huge distance by twenty but, thirty points. I, I don't you're, think they have a great start of the season. I think after about five games, they win tenth. I think they only got four points from the first five games. Yeah, and if you think if you think that uh, Mourinho. Mourinho, <laughs> Mourinho was sacked for getting 11 out of 18 points and then they yeah. also got beat twice off Manchester City in the derbies that season as well so it was you know yeah I think, I think free season was it that's right yeah but it always felt like the difference between Chelsea and the relationship between Jose and Abramovich was so different to that of Ferguson and whoever was in charge at the time and uh, yeah it wasn't a good start but that was that was the days when you could drop a few points and still win the league. These days, if you're just focusing yeah. on the league, if you lose two out of your first five, you're pretty much out of the race, aren't you? Well, that's the way... That, then that's what that's Mourinho what to did to it eventually, didn't he? He, he turned yeah. into that kind of league. Listen, I, my high-scoring games was a matter of observation and fun rather than really claiming it was the best performance, which means it's down to Manchester United as a team in that season or Fernando Torres um, as an individual. Um, anybody want to change their vote or will you leave it up to me? No, I'll, I'll change mine to Manchester United. I think if you compare it to the Manchester United team of today. Manchester United, clearly. Um, and despite the fact that it probably means that um, one, one award yet again away from uh, going out for dinner with Fernando Torres, Manchester United is the best performance of that season. shows the golfing class between the two teams and um, you know I, as the manager I've, I've got to face responsibility and take it on the shoulders I think we've sold 19,000 season tickets already for next season and that's unbelievable considering the stuff they've had to watch so hopefully um, next season we get off to a good start and, um, and you know be doing interviews where we're talking about winning rather than, than embarrassing defeats This is the part of the show I've been looking forward to most 
uh, with great, most eager anticipation, the worst performance of the season. Um, because, um, and I'm sorry, Dave, because you've got something else you have to talk about. This is the season that Derby County went down with one win in the entire season. I'll say that again in case you think that um, due to the strange technological circumstances, you might have misheard me. Derby won one game. Now, I'm not going to, I'll wait to give you my own opinion about their team to when Marcus had his say. Because, David, you're going to start with our worst performance um, with some other things that you've observed about the season. Yeah, I think for me, it was a peak time for for bad things. And the two bad things that I'm <laughs> going to talk about is is players players and managers' fashion, uh, particularly <laughs> very large fat tie knots. It really peaked this year. And there's two real sort of culprits of this. That, that, I hope you know, you're going to say one of the ones I'm going to. If not, go on in. Well, well, one of them was Lee Boyer. Lee, right. I think Lee Boyer used to think if it's the same size as me head, then it's the same. That's the right, uh, right size. That was <laughs> he was surprised he could actually fit around his neck, and um, and also uh, surprisingly, uh, Roy Keane. I noticed Roy Keane on really, you know, on the, uh, yeah, Roy Keane. He enjoyed a fat tie knot. I've always been more of like a bit of a in in style probably mod style ties you know like the thinner ones i've always favored those so totally, totally goes against the grain for me i mean i i i totally understand i mean it, when i was at school there was a regular way a regulation way of doing your tie and the there was the bad boys and the bully boys who had the big fat slightly open knot can i add a third player to that list jimmy floyd hasselbank jimmy <laughs> floyd used to have his ties so yeah. big and so loose that i like a rosette I thought, you know, you know the way um, that those of your parents will know now. You can buy those papoose things that go on the front of your body for carrying the child round. <laughs> Jimmy Floyd could have got twins in there, no problem, no problem at all. That's a, it's a very, then. it's a very, very good spot. It's a very good spot, David Priest. What else? And also the muted celebration. Yeah, oh. uh, I'm a. It really riles me the muted celebration, because most of the time the players who do it were rejected or discarded by their teams, their previous sides anyway, for yeah. not being good enough or just they, they didn't want them. But uh, there's, I can see that uh, Tevez, it, when he scored sort of, it, I think it was the second, the second last game of the season when they needed to win games to actually win the title, yet he took it upon himself not to celebrate because it was against West Ham. Ugh, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. about priorities, isn't it? It became yeah, it, it became a thing with footballers, and I, the one I remember distinctly because he got a lot of goals, but he had a lot of clubs. Was Robbie Keane? Robbie yeah. would go two months without being able to celebrate a goal because he was always playing <laughs> against against some team he'd played for previously, particularly second spell at Spurs. It, it was one of those ones he'd had, you know, eight or nine clubs, and it, it, but he still scored a lot of goals. Most of the time, he spent walking very very gingerly back to the centre circle. It's a yeah, nonsense. Yeah, when he did celebrate, David, Danny. When he did celebrate, oh, he would he be was in that category. Yes, he, he was absolutely acrobatic. And, and he used to finish it, of course, with the fake gunshot. <laughs> which I, I mean, the, the, the worst fake gunshot in the history of professional football in England, when Phil Neal, Phil Neal of Yes Boss, Yes Boss fame, from that documentary <laughs> with um, Graham Taylor, when he got the job at Manchester City at the old main road, he went over to the Kipax where the City fans and were gathered, and he was putting his hands up in the air before the first game. He was getting a massive round of applause. He then, now this is not a player, this is the manager, 
pulled two imaginary pistols out of imaginary holsters and shot them above his head. I mean, it was incredible. I, I knew no good would come at that appointment when I saw <laughs> Phil Neal's imaginary gunshots at Main Road. That's right um, up there with uh, Tim Sherwood taking his own pulse to see if he's still alive when he was at Villa. Can you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he took what? He walked up, he walked up uh, Tim Sherwood walked up to the to the Villa crowd. I think they just won just to, to keep them sort of their head above water. And he kind yeah. of walked up to the crowd and sort of took his own pulse on his neck and then sort of nodded and <laughs> said, yeah, we're still alive. Yes, I remember. Very alive. good. It's, it's such like a substitute teacher desperate for his pupils to like him. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very yeah. much for those, David. Both very good indeed. But Mark, now's your moment. Mm. Roll of drums, peal of trumpets. Let's talk about yeah. Derby County in 2007-2008. You begin now. Yeah, I mean, everyone's already depressed. I'm already depressed with what's going on in the world. And you've asked me to come on and talk about Derby County in... We, to be fair, it was a record-breaking season, so that's something, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a it was a very tough season to be a Derby County supporter. Uh, at the time, I'll give you some context. I was uh, in my first year of university, and I was living with three Nottingham Forest fans. Oh, um, it's so good already! Incredibly tough personal year for me, um, and I've got to be honest. We went up the season before via the playoffs via a Stephen Pearson winner against West Brom. We shouldn't have gone up. We should have been a mid-table championship side. We went up against all odds, and we weren't ready. We just were not ready. And from day one of pre-season, I think, I can't speak for all Derby fans, but I feel as though most of us felt it was going to be a difficult a difficult old season. However, we didn't think it would be as bad as this. We start the season, we get a two-all draw with Portsmouth. Okay, there's some, you know, there's some promise there. This isn't, this isn't all that bad. But by about six weeks in... It was just an absolute bloodbath. Every single time we play, we'd go in and we would just get, not just beaten, but destroyed, dominated throughout. I mean, I'm looking at the team now, the players we've got, and I, I can only highlight two players that I think could possibly get into any other side in the league. One of them is Kenny Miller, who actually had a pretty good season given right. the team he was playing in. And he was the reason we beat Newcastle. Our one, our one win of the season was against Newcastle. Kenny Miller with a wonder goal. He also scored away at Newcastle for a two-all draw. So for some reason, Newcastle couldn't play against us. Everyone else could, but Newcastle couldn't. Um, but the other player was Giles Barnes, who was a, a young player who went on to get really badly injured. So that was it. That was our team, was a player who was injured and Kenny Miller. And there's not much you can do with that in the Premier League. I'll give you some stats on our, on our season, shall I? I hate reading these. Okay, fine. Final record of one win, eight draws and 29 losses for a total of 11 points. 11? Derby, 11 points. We scored 20 goals. 20 <gasps> goals. So Ronaldo scored 11 more than us. Adebayor, Torres both scored more than us individually. Um, uh, <laughs> our final goal difference. Do you want to have a guess at this, Danny? Final goal difference. What do you um, think it might be? It must be in the, in the 70s. Not quite, actually. A good season then, I'd say. Minus 69. Oh, Danny, you were yeah, so Yeah, nowhere close. near. You were nowhere near. <laughs> 29 defeats. I mean, it was just, it, it went on and on and on. It was just demoralising. We had some, I remember the, the loss at home to Aston Villa, 6-0 at home to Villa, and Stylian Petrov scored from the halfway line with his weaker foot. And this was happening every week. <laughs> it was absolutely insane. This sums it up. Last day of the season, uh, Reading are playing us at, I was at this game, Reading at Pride Park, and Reading um, beat us 4-0. And still went down that season. So the gulf between 20th and 19th and 18th was absolutely phenomenal. It was, 
it was just embarrassing. And I'd like to say there was some gallows humour about it in that, you know, halfway through the season, we all knew we were going down and let's have a good time instead. And to a certain extent, that was happening. The fans were great throughout. I mean, we were taking three, four, five thousand away, even when we were rock bottom of the table. Mm. But it was just atrocious. Every week, just getting beaten what? around the head for a whole season and living with three Forest fans. I mean, that is... You Dang think this, this lockdown's bad? That, that, that was worse than the lockdown. No, I've had to hold myself back from an inappropriate <laughs> comment there. But, but do, do you know what? I think, I think we've missed out there, uh, Mr. Trick by not naming the hero of this season as, the, as Derby's groundsman for making sure those uh, the nets were pegged in as, as well as they were. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. But, and, 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 but David, I'm going to put this to you and, not, and maybe to Mark as well. Um, I um, have been critical of football teams a lot for any number of reasons. Badly set up, individuals not doing their job, all sorts of things. I really uh, genuinely believe that a team, I've seen lots of useless teams, but I've never seen a team that gave up. That Derby team gave up, David. And, and pros tell me, oh, no, the players, they always give their best. They were wandering around those pitches, David. Do, do you know what? I'll let you in a little secret here. And, and good friends with two of the players who played in that side or in, in that squad that season. And I won't name who they are, but... No. They, they were literally down before the first game of the season. Yeah. They, 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 they had a mindset where they, they knew they weren't good enough. They knew they didn't have enough quality. Uh, the captain, uh, Matt Oakley, was coming out and saying that, um, of course, nobody's going to come and sign for a team that are going to get relegated. So it was already in their... That was their frame of mind. And you see other teams coming up and sort of riding the wave of, uh, of, of promotion, the likes of uh, even Norwich this year, Norwich bottom of the league, but they, they still look like they've, they've got a fighting chance and they, they believe that they, they, can, they can win football matches. Yeah. And I, think, it, it, and, and I think a lot of it's down to methodology as well. I think, you know, if you're coming up from, uh, uh, from the championship and you're playing a certain way and you're relying on a little bit of quality or you're a little bit direct and you leave things to chance, then once you go into the, the Premier League, you're just going to get eaten up. And I think that's exactly what happened to there. Yeah, I, I think in defence of Derby, I think that they, they, just weren't, they just were not ready Somebody's to defending for them anyway. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause, yeah, Claude Davis wasn't. Um, I, uh, think the, Sorry, I, think, I think in defence of Derby, we, we just were not ready to go up. And that, that's what happens sometimes. You know, a, a strange sort of crease in time, which meant we went up that season. We didn't sign any players of real quality in the off-season. Billy Davis was not sure about his position if he was going to stay there. So no one was going to sign for a club who didn't know if the manager was going to stick around. So that doesn't make up for the fact that Derby players gave up, like you say, because you're right, there's, there's absolutely no excuse for that. But it was, uh, it was that season which meant that we were more financially secure after that, at least, and we didn't lose our club entirely. So I suppose that's something, is it, that to take is, out of That here? is the I most tremendous um, searching for... You, you've got out search dogs, sniffer dogs, <laughs> to find the silver lining there in that particular cloud. I can go uh, one better than very... that, Danny. I can go, go on. one better than that. So this is, this is from the uh, Derby Telegraph. Only a few, uh, few days ago, it was uh, published on the 29th of March this year, Wow. And the title, the title of the piece is Why Derby County's infamous Premier League 2007-2008 campaign isn't the worst in history, right? And you know how... The, how <laughs> oh, you, God. You know how far they've gone back to find somebody worse than them? 1408. The 1899-1900 <laughs> uh, season. Loughborough finished bottom of the old second division with one just one win and 
six uh, draws. Hey, look, there's nothing to talk about. On the, give them a break. Give those lads a break. I'm, not, I'm absolutely I'm right. Not 18 is a big season. I'm not. They, 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 they still had strings for crossbars then. I'm not <laughs> buying that as a comparison. Listen, thank That's you so very much indeed for that. It, my own worst performance of the season um, it involves myself, actually. I'm putting myself forward for this, and it relates to this Derby County team. Um, four years ago, uh, when I still uh, had my um, much derided and rightly so BT television show with Danny Baker, um, they asked me on BT during the January transfer windows, it was deadline day, would I be on a panel um, commenting all the deals going through um, as they headed towards midnight? So I'm on there with various football bods. And it's, it was a very, like sometimes it, it happens, it was a long last hour when nothing was going through. And so you get talking about this and that and the other. And the subject of this Derby County team came up. And I remember saying, oh, my God. And I launched into it, Mark. You've already done it. They really were a disgraceful bunch of slackers um, and a shame to not just their own club and um, their own families, but to the Premier League itself. And I said, and in January, they made it even worse. They went out and bought some of the worst players who've ever <laughs> put on football boots. A little Welsh voice beside me goes, I was one of those. It was Robbie Savage who they'd gone out and bought during the January transfer window. He was nearly in tears. He was nearly in tears. It was, yeah. I, I, I did feel sorry for him. I, I'd completely forgotten that Robbie was one of these. And I really, I mean, the show was going so slowly because it was like three hours of transfer chat. I really had put the boot into them. And this little Welsh voice <laughs> goes, I, I was one of those. And I, to be oh, fair and to Savage. Dead. To be fair to Savage, yeah. he did actually put a shift in. He he, he could never be well, one that, that, that was accused that, that of... That at least you could never accuse him of not yeah, doing. Yeah. But he was literally sat next to me. Um, I, I'm too big uh, to, for the earth to swallow me up. Or, so I just, <laughs> I just had to laugh along with him and hope for the best. Um, David Priest, I've got to say, this is, this is one of these occasions where we really had an unusual situation where we had to let the producer decide. And I don't think we can have any argument here. Brilliant, though, your fat ties observation was. And fun though it was for me to get embarrassed by Robbie Savage, although uh, on, on the television, I don't think any group of football fans could consider themselves to know a, a jot about the game unless they all agreed. The worst performance of the 2007-2008 season, and I would say of the... 20 of the 1999 to 2000 yeah all right danny come on yeah, century <laughs> yeah cough it up derby county <laughs> absolutely right well done everybody and mark well, thank you for making me relive that no particular credit to you there you are you see um that they say um that uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger i thought you showed great <laughs> battling qualities there yourself uh, battling qualities the type that your team had no knowledge of in that season um, That's right. David, um, thank you for coming and lounging on your bed. Oh, anytime. I can do this anytime. <laughs> uh, very enjoyable. Mark, I hope the neighbours don't start saying, what are you doing behind those cushions? What's he doing with those cushions? <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us as well. Cheers, Danny. Thanks very much. Listen, thank you very much, Dean. Thank you most of all, of course, to all of you who've downloaded and listened to the Game Day Record Book archive podcast with the voices you heard there, Mark Smith, David Priest, and me, Danny Kelly. Um, this will sound out of date in six months' time, but for those of you listening to it in real time, in contemporary time, as always, I can only add to my gratitude for you joining us with my protestations that you all stay as safe as you possibly can. God bless you all and goodbye. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. 
be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.